Hello, my happy birthday suitors. This is your open your present to try to forget your past host, Matthew Sanborn Smith, and is this really blows the candles out framing device, beware the Harry Mango's eighth birthday. Here for your pleasure and for my profit, I present to you episode three of Beware the Patronizing Mango. I figured you deserved a freebie as the very first episode of Beware the Harry Mango appeared eight years ago today. And I also felt you needed much unwanted advertising for my Patreon page, patreon.com slash Matthew Sanborn Smith. For just a buck, you can get more episodes of the new show on a monthly basis, including episode 4, which is up this very day. For three bucks, you can get an episode of the old subscription show Beware the Elitist Mango each month, and more dough gets you more goods. Also, follow my long, drawn-out journey through the creation of that nifty novel I couldn't kickstart two and a half years ago, Hive 5. The story of a hive mind that's not very good at being a hive mind. But enough of me asking you for money and you not giving me any. It's time for a taste of the juiciest fruit that will have you picking hairs from your teeth. Well, maybe the second juiciest fruit. Which you haven't tasted in nearly a year. Enjoy the show. Visit the Patreon page. That's all I got. Hello, my jaunty Presbyterians. This is your zany Zen Sunni wandering host, Matthew Sanborn Smith, and his especially exceptional Episcopalian podcast, Beware the Patronizing Mango. Today's story is all about nonsensical technologies. If you find yourself running into nano brick walls and decide to ask Mushmouth for advice for some god awful reason, he might suggest purchasing some Biblibots. Biblibots by Matthew Sanborn Smith. Bibli had a passion for building robots, but they weren't really going to do much more than entertain Bibli himself. What I mean is, they were mostly useless. He wasn't going to make any money off of them, and they weren't going to do a lot for him. He had his bank robbing robot, that was the one exception. That one did a lot for him, and made him money. He even got a bank teller's phone number. They went on one date, and she left early when she discovered he wasn't the robot she had met at the bank. Bibli wasn't positive, though, if she hung on long enough to squeeze a couple of drinks out of him, or if it took her that long to figure out he wasn't a robot. Anyway, he was arrested for bank robbery before he got out of the restaurant. It took the police a couple of drinks before they realized he wasn't a robot and therefore innocent. Bibley took his bank robbed money and used it to make more robots. He was inspired by his childhood set of Rock'em Sock'em robots, and he knew that robot battles were a thing on TV at the time. But the now much older Bibley had become a pacifist. Not only that, but why would you take all the time and trouble to build things whose sole purpose was to unbuild everything you just did? So to illustrate to the world the stupidity of its feud and ways, Bibley made a pair of robots that gave each other soothing massages. He called the new toy Squeeze'em Please'em Robots. Parents looking over the new toys for the Christmas season were largely disturbed by the sensual bots. Without brains or central nervous systems, it's not like they could enjoy the massages they were getting. But Jesus, they sure looked like they did. Closed-eyed, open-mouthed ecstasy was not an experience they thought their children were ready to watch on their Christmas gifts' faces, much less the happy ending and the money the two robots exchanged at the end. Back to the drawing board. I mean it, because Bibli next made a robotic drawing board. It didn't do any drawing, and it didn't adjust itself or anything, it just sat there with its no-moving parts. Bibli's friends pointed out he just reinvented the regular drawing board. None of those friends got any robotic drawing boards that Christmas. Instead, they received boxes of soiled tissues that the Squeeze'em-Please'em robots used to clean up afterward. Bibley made robotic macaroni and cheese. He went to the hospital shortly after that one was completed. He made robotic water, but it rusted immediately. His robot underwear seemed like it was going places, which it was whenever Bibley wore it and then went places, but it also seemed like it might work out until he put on a pair of pants over it and discovered it was claustrophobic. After that, Bibley learned to go everywhere in only his underwear. 
and how to pee out of a tube. He decided he couldn't go wrong by making robotic robots. What he did was buy other robots built by competent people, and then he'd further roboticize them, which everyone assumed was his code word for ruin. Perfectly good car-making industrial robots were suddenly constructing open-bottomed buckets and inch sticks, which were yardsticks that had been cut into 36 pieces. Turned out most things people needed to measure were longer than an inch stick. He designed robotic feces, which really hurt when it was coming out, but not nearly as much as it did when it was going in. The second generation came with little medical diagnosis systems, which would tell you why you had bloody stool, which hadn't been a problem before the first generation. When you were done with the robot feces, you could use it to fertilize robotic crops. He had come up with that one on the fly after so many toilets had backed up. The one promising looking thing he did was invent robotic writing. You had to read it fast because soon after your robotic pen put the words down, the robotic letters would get up and run right off the page. And that was the best case scenario. Sometimes they would just run around and make up new types of filthy words. I mean, no one knew what they meant, but they just sounded dirty, like cungus and fritter hole. Or sometimes they would just take the shapes of normal words like fire truck and have a big dick sticking out of them. He made a robotic basketball, but as soon as someone tried to bounce it, it would just smash to pieces, and then he'd come over and get pissed at them for destroying the cool new robot he just gave them. It looked like a fist fight was going to break out at that point, but again, Bibley was a pacifist, so he just gave them an erotic massage. If this story invaded your fritter hole, you can envelop it and other cungus at the web place of the robotic base BeWareTheHairyMango.com. Prolapse vividly in the comments for this post or panoply mail me and we'll enjoy a wide variety of things at Matthew at BeWareTheHairyMango.com or get the Monopoly expansion set where the first Roosevelt administration steps in with all of its trust-busting ways and a four-hour game has now become unending because no one can ever own everything again. But the people in our fictional gaming world are happy and benefit from healthy competition with good wages, reasonable prices, and choices we don't currently enjoy at BewareTheHairyMangoGmail.com. If only people on Twitter would tell me what I should and shouldn't do. Maybe you could tell me what to do after following me at Twitter.com slash UpWithGravity. One thing you don't need to tell me, folks, is where to go. I get a lot of that already. If you've got pals whom this show would turn on, please tell them to jump on our Patreon party wagon at Patreon.com slash Matthew Sanborn Smith. Party wagon! I think I just frightened my dog. I'm working on yet another movie script. You'd think by this time I'd be a Hollywood big shot, but even though a script doesn't have to be good to sell, it does have to be more than 300 words, generally. And it can't just be the word destroy written in feces over and over again. I say they don't appreciate my genius. So anyway, my new script. The movie is called Destroy, and it's... No, wait, it's not. It's it's called Gentlemen No Longer Prefer Blondes, and it's about a guy named Paul who's surrounded by redheads but falls for a woman with black hair and has to admit to his redheaded fiancée, Bella, that he now prefers blackheads. In response to this, Bella runs to her father's fried chicken shack and rubs grease all over her face in an effort to clog her pores. Then she returns to Paul with a complexion like a sheet of pus-filled bubble wrap. The movie sort of ends abruptly right there because every time I reach that page, I have to go throw up. Isn't it weird that there's an article of clothing called The Dress. It's like it's named after the verb that we do with all articles of clothing. Why isn't this caught on in other areas? Hey, what's for dinner? Dad made eat. Ooh, I love eat. Or we could call our sneakers runs. Hey, you want to go jogging? I just went to the store. I got the t-shirt, I got the shorts, I got the runs. Come on. Uh, maybe this isn't a good time for jogging, Bob. What, are you kidding me? I just got the runs this morning. I'm dying to go jogging. We can go on my new trail. Jogging on your trail is actually what I'm most concerned about, Bob. That and innocent bystanders. This podcast spends all of its free time patiently soaking in palm olive while waiting for Madge the manicurist to look up from her nail files for just one goddamned minute and really look it in the eyes and know that it wants to grow old with her and run a puppy farm together and it takes all of its strength not to take her by the shoulders and say, do you see these tears, Madge? That's what I'm soaking in, you temptress. 
Oh God, why have I wasted my life on you? On this, on all of this. I'm sorry, I've got to go. Those puppies aren't going to milk themselves. Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share Alike 4.0 International License. Until Icy Hot is driven out of business by its biggest competitor, Flamey Cold, this will be your lots of assembly required host, Matthew Sanborn Smith, reminding you a spoonful of high fructose corn syrup helps the life expectancy go down. Good night. <laughs>